We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. I have a friend who sits alongside me. I'm going to bring him to you right now, assuming the audio is cooperating. Let's do a check, check, D2. Are you there, my friend? Loud and clear. Come at us. Yes, I am here and I'm ready to go and uh, gearing up. We we're actually taping this, uh, you know, over the week or before the weekend. So we got a, a, a rainy kind of, uh, you know, weather ahead of us and I'm getting ready for uh, Big Peach Farm to Trails as well. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be quite as nice as, as weather as, as what I hoped. Uh, it's going to be, I guess, sloppy and wet and cold. You are coming at us in a number of different ways because we will be side by side, unlike what we're doing right now here for that event. It does look like it's going to be pretty sloppy. That gives you perhaps an indication of when we are taping this episode. If you're coming to Farm to Trail, certainly we look forward to seeing you there. Please look us up anytime you get a chance to uh, run alongside D2 or myself, and we'd love your feedback on what we can do better on the Run ATL podcast. But for today, we believe we have a world-class all-star episode to come right at you because of our featured conversation. Specifically, Rasan Bahati is in the guest chair, and he is going to give us all kinds of good stuff. For those of you who have not heard his name before, check this out. Professional cyclist for quite some time, still very, very avid. He has as many national championships as anyone you can think of primarily on the track and in criterium racing. He now races for Giant Bicycles. You've heard that name on our podcast before giant a big partner of ours in our ride and run concept in town brookhaven among all of the cool things they've done for us and for this market they introduced me and rasan recently and he and i actually spent some time together not too long ago out in park city struck up a fast friendship and said listen we need to put more cycling content on the run ATL podcast. He wonderfully agreed. D2, you're kind of the cyclist in resident. I'm willing to admit that you have far more miles in the saddle than what I do over the last few years. What do you think about having Rasan kind of kicking off a little bit more cycling content? He seems to be the right guy, but what do you think? I mean, I, I, you know, was uh, uh, unfamiliar with him um, because I, you know, while I'm into cycling, I'm more of it as a participant and not really one that follows a lot of the pros and the tours. You know, I get a little bit into the Tour de France and, you know, really watch the highlights, but I'm not really into the stats. I'm really in any sport into, you know, the, the players and the names and the stats and all that. Um, but, you know, he was just a really down to earth guy, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, we missed, we were actually, we're trying to you know, connect with him, um, you know, a month or so ago because he came down for the Mac, uh, one love, uh, century ride. Um, so he, he has been in Georgia. We did talk a lot, a little bit. I was, uh, a little, was unaware that he had been here and, you know, at the Athens twilight criterium and actually won that. I mean, things that, you know, like I said, I was unfamiliar with him. I don't follow that type of, you know, world, um, 
Um, and I guess he also dropped in a little bit of the tour to Georgia when that was happening. He had ridden here in Georgia. So he's got some Georgia connections yes. and he's been here. And uh, he even uh, name dropped uh, someone who I'm also familiar, who's also from the cycling, pro cycling world. And I only got to become familiar with him once he retired. And that's Phil Gaiman, who is also lives out in California, who I think is the, the, uh, the cookie cyclist. He got famous because, you know, um, he was, you know, uh, I guess got cookies on the tours and whenever he were, and all of his fans give him cookies. So now he's got, you know, jerseys and cookies and he's retired and, you know, he's, he does all these KOMs and he has a connection also here to, uh, to, uh, Atlanta. I believe his parents live here. So there's, you know, all these connections where I sound like, Oh, this is awesome. You know, I love, you know, how uh, the cycling world, as big as it is, you know, it's getting smaller and we're seeing these connections that are tying it to, you know, here, Atlanta, the local community, and then also with what we're doing with cycling with uh, Big Peach Ride and Run. So um, it's pretty exciting. It is. I know people will talk about the congestion on the connector, certainly the world's busiest airport in Hartsfield, Jackson, Atlanta Track Club termed this running city USA. We've been talking about how it's the greatest city on the planet to be a runner for almost two decades. And now bicycling is getting its due day in the sun. And certainly with those connections you just mentioned, including Rasan's affinity for cycling here in the capital of the South is a further indication that bicycling is here for good in and around Atlanta. You're going to enjoy this episode for sure. Before we go to a break though, D2, I think we've got some other activities that are reflective of great places to do what we suggest. Let's talk first, run ATL appreciation party. This has been on ice way too long and for reasons that are very understandable, but we are now going for it, getting everybody back together socially and of course safely, but run ATL pre appreciation party, man, November 7th, that afternoon, that's going to be a good time. Yeah. I mean, we've got a, uh, it'll be at 2 PM, November 7th at uh, wild heaven over our West end. So, you know, our friends there uh, at wild heaven are going to, you know, be our host there and we're going to, you know, uh, have the space available to us. Um, we'll do a 5k and a five mile uh, run, and then we're just going to hang out and enjoy some, uh, some adult beverages there. We've got a, a post run peachy lager that'll be on tap. And, uh, um, you know, food uh, as well. So, you know, uh, feel free to come on out and join us. You know, there's a link on our website to um, to RSVP. That way we kind of have an accurate kind of count as to, you know, uh, estimation as to how many people would come out there. So we know kind of how to break up groups for, for Ron and, and the space that will be uh, needed. But uh, it is rain or shine. Um, hopefully it will be all shine. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, so, uh, you yeah, know, running at two o'clock in the afternoon in, in November, I would expect the temperatures to be uh, you know, uh, very, very comfortable. I expect them to probably be anywhere from the 50s to mid-60s, and uh, that's perfect running weather. Well, and after doing perhaps our penance at Farm to Trail in the uh, in the rain and cooler temperatures, it's only fair the following weekend that we get a bit of sunshine and those very enjoyable fall temperatures for sure. Wild Heaven doing us really well passing that along to you there will be food and drink specials d2 already mentioned we're going to have two different distances so you can come out and run this is not a race this is an opportunity for some exercise and smiles chance to bring old friends and meet new ones of course for those of you who do want to get on a bike if you've not been on the west end or the west side atlanta beltline recently 
the trail going to the south now open, more miles available to you there. So whether you are going to run or walk with us or whether you just want to be on the bike, bring your bike with you and enjoy all the west side has to offer. D2, occasionally you take off the Run ATL podcast headphones and don the coach's cap. The other thing I feel like we would just be doing everyone a disservice if we didn't mention the spring Run ATL training program registration it's open what's going on with that yeah so we've got uh you know it's a a free 18 week um uh training program for a marathon that is targeted uh for the public's uh georgia marathon that is taking place at the end of february um that is now open and uh you know it will remain open until november 5th so you you know from the time that you listen to this podcast and it airs you've got a, a few days um you know maybe five days uh to register the you know, that way it gives you uh, 16 weeks to train for a marathon. That's plenty of time. I think anything less than that, unless you are uh, jumping in and have already have a solid base, I wouldn't recommend uh, jumping in um, after uh, 16 weeks. But it is geared towards very beginners, people that are, you know, start do, want to do their first marathon or people that maybe have previously done a marathon, but it's been a few years since they've done it. And uh, I've already gotten contact from, uh, from a few people who have been interested, who are looking forward to that and that's exactly what they're looking for is that you know one individual um you know you know has done marathons before but it's been several years and it wants to get back into it and uh, so this is a perfect opportunity to do so so that is open now through november 5th and after that we're going to open up the 12 week also free half marathon training program and that will open up on november uh, 15th and will close on december 17th so um all this is geared toward once again the public's um you know, half marathon that'll take place at the end of February. Um, our goal is, of course, is to make sure that everyone has a great time, um, gets to the finish line, uh, you know, at least a start line, you know, in a, you know, healthy and uninjured um, experience a great uh, environment uh, and has a great race so that, you know, you feel like you've accomplished something, but at the same time, you want to continue to do it and pursue, you know, either uh, a faster time, um, a longer distance or just staying active in this lifestyle. So, you know, it's, you know, I know there are people out there that just want to do a one and done and that's great. My goal is to try to get you to do, to not go that route, that if you have a great time, if you have a great experience, that this will not be a one and done, but something that you will continue to want to do. Wow. Very cool. That's what we were designed to do. D2 remind us the cost for registering for the, run ATL training program coming up or any of those that you mentioned that have registration forthcoming free. These are all free. And as part of, of registering as well, you can come on out and, and meet me and, and Mike at the run ATL appreciation party. So these are all things that we're doing for free. Once again, to give back to our community, uh, opportunity for us to get together and, um, socialize in a, you know, very safe space, you know, op- open air, um, and, uh, just to participate and just, you know, it's been, you know, a tough few years kind of trying to get, you know, God, it does feel like it's been several years now where, <laughs> you know, we haven't had that opportunity to really connect with those individuals that support us. And that's, this is our way of saying, we want to see you. We want to meet you. We want to have those conversations, um, and, and share this common interest and this love for this activity and, uh, and just have a good time. 
really that's all it is, is really just to have a good time and just to get that social interaction because that's something that I know, you know, I've been missing, you know, I think, you know, a lot of our, our uh, you know, followers are, you know, are missing as well. It's just to get that human connection around something that we all have in common and that's the love of running. Indeed. So run ATL training program, free run ATL appreciation party on November 7th. That is free. Listening to the run ATL podcast. My belief is that is free unless D2 has changed something behind the controls that I'm unaware of. So I cannot tell you how we do it, but what I can tell you is what is coming next. It is Rasan Bahati straight out of Compton to the podiums of national championships and now to the run ATL podcast. Do not miss this. We'll be right back after this brief message. Running makes you feel good. Running is healthy and good for you. Running can even be therapeutic, but running doesn't define you. You are not a runner, but running gives you life. At Big Peach Running Company, we get it. That's why we are the number one running store for those that don't call themselves a runner. That's why our guests use terms like friendly, thoughtful, attentive to describe us in reviews. Come see us at any of our seven metro Atlanta area locations or visit us at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. There is no doubt you could hear the enthusiasm in our voices for this featured conversation. Let us wait no longer. Rasan Bahati with us right now. Rasan, thank you for being part of the fun. How are you doing? Thanks for uh, for having me, and I am doing pretty good. That is good to hear. I would imagine you're in Southern California. It looks like you're at home. Yeah, I am. Uh, oddly enough, we got rain last night, um, which was much needed. But sure. like Southern California, only it only rains for like an hour. Then we don't get rain for another 365 days. So. <laughs> well, hopefully it won't be a rare event that that'll be the first time out of a few times over the next few weeks. Cause you're absolutely right. Even those of us here in the Southeast know you guys need some rain in Southern California more often absolutely. than you're getting it. And perhaps quite yeah. a bit right now. And, and maybe we'll, we'll start there. So perhaps we also have the good fortune of being the first ever run titled podcast you've ever been on, but we were amped. As you know, we saw each other a few weeks ago in park city, Big Peach Ride and Run, now a thing. We're doing a lot more in and around Atlanta, around the wonderful wide world of cycling. And certainly your name in and around that sport has been a big deal for a long time. And it did, just like that rain that happened last evening, a story all to its own. Many, many, many years ago, you're a kid from Southern California, gets himself in a little bit of trouble. All of a sudden, gets exposed somewhat accidentally to this great sport and now have been not only national champion many, many, many times over, but have figured out a way to make this a lifetime pursuit of your own. But take us back to the early days. How did you find this wide world of bicycling? Yeah, you touched on a little bit. Um, Born and raised in Compton, California. Um, Grew up in a pretty big family. Mom, dad, I have five sisters and a brother. we dabbled in sports um, a little bit. You know, I, I, I grew up playing baseball and basketball, football, played a little, uh, ran a little track and field, but didn't really like it. Um, I was really keen on being a baseball player or, or, or football player. And then, yeah, this, this, this one day, you know, in, in school, um, seventh grade, I got in a little bit of trouble and, and little did I know my, my English teacher 
was actually um, involved in cycling. He he was a USCF official. So now it was USAC. Back then it was USCF, United States Cycling Federation. Um, mm. And his son also raced the track. And uh, yeah, I was introduced to, to the sport of cycling, even though I thought I was inter- being introduced to the sport of uh, motorcycle racing because he said bikes and I just figured <laughs> bikes meant motorcycles and uh, yeah that's that's how I got involved well that's awesome and and obviously you know it's easy for us to say okay well at that age and even you were kind enough to mention you know and we hear the phrase still to this day straight out of Compton and you get this opportunity maybe this unexpected good fortune to get on a bike what was mm-hmm. it like right out of the gates did you fall in love with it immediately or did it take some success or just you know some continued exposure to the sport and perhaps even to those officials or how did that love ultimately materialize no the first i would say the first year and a half so i was involved in an after school program that was funded by the 84 olympics so you imagine you guys are in atlanta you probably saw the influx of funds that came in after the 96 Olympics. Um, and so um, I, I'm not 100% sure if this is accurate, but LA 84, the, the foundation, I believe was actually founded that year. So um, with all the money that was um, left over from the 84 Olympics, they started LA 84 foundation, which uh, helped fund sports programs and not just cycling. It was all mm-hmm. sports programs, you know, it was track and field, tennis, you name it. Um, and so I was involved in after school program where I went twice a week. I think it was like from, you know, five to seven or something like that. And, and uh, for the first year, year and a half, I didn't like it at all. Um, I didn't think it was cool. Number one, you know, you wear tights and <laughs> from, from where I come from, like you don't see cycling as a sport. You also don't see it as a way to make a living. So, you know, there's a lot of unknowns and I just didn't like it. You know, you wear the, the funny looking helmet, the shoes, and, and then mo- even more important, uh, there was no one out there who looked like me, you know, that I could say, oh, there's a Michael Jordan of cycling. I would love to do that, you know? Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of negatives, um, at least from a, from a mindset of, of um, not having the exposure to the sport. And then, you know, I, I continue to go back because, in a way, my parents kind of pushed me to go back. Um, they saw some differences in my behavior. Uh, they saw that I was a little more focused. Uh, they saw that I was definitely a lot more tired and have a lot of energy to do bad things. Um, and then, yeah, I started to like the the community that was around the village realm. You know, the, the, the people I was hanging out with there. I was starting to meet kids my age that was coming as far as like San Diego, which is like two hours away just to ride the track, you know, twice a week. And here I am, I lived like five miles from the track, you know, so all those things started to add up. You started to realize kind of like, wow, I'm, I'm blessed. Like, if, cause if I lived in San Diego, there's no way in hell my parents can drive me two hours one way to go ride a track for two hours, you know, it's just not going to happen. Um, yeah. And then I started racing and then, you know, kind of the, the rest, the rest is history. Well, and with that start and and one of the ways that we were able to connect, obviously, Giant Bicycle is a big partner of ours here in Atlanta, been a partner of yours for a long time, sponsoring you and and your team. And Mm -hmm. on their site, they say, who would have thought that as a kid who threw an eraser at a sixth grade teacher would get introduced to the sport of velodrome cycling as a form of punishment? My name is Rasan Bahadi, and it's true. I found the sport as a form of punishment. 
The punishment soon consumed my life and has taken me on a journey that I'm extremely grateful for. That is said really, really well. And yet at the same time, you mentioned not everybody look like you. You also have been in Velo News on many, many occasions, most often, of course, for your performances on the track, in the velodrome, or in a race on the road. But you've also more recently talked about the fact that most, maybe no one else looked like you. Mm-hmm. What was it like in those early days, especially when you stood out, not just because of how fast your wheels were going, but because how you looked once you took the helmet off and maybe got off the bike? Yeah, it was like I went through, that was like a, a roller coaster. At, at first, I did, I mean, I definitely realized it, but I didn't think of it as such a big deal. And then as you start to compete at a higher level, you start to realize, wait a second, there's absolutely no one out here. And sometimes even down to the spectators, down to the course marshals, down to the officials, like there's absolutely no one within all these different segments of the sport that looked like me. How is that remotely possible? But it was, you know, it was like, Mm. there was absolutely no representation at any level in the sport, not just on the bike. I'm talking about off the bike too, you know? Um, so that was a harsh reality. And then, um, like just racing in Europe, you know, I just, I realized, I said, man, I am like, I am definitely a raisin in milk. You know, uh, I have mm. no one to lean on, no one to talk to, no one that relates to like, uh, the things that I, I, I go through as a, as a black male, you know, and then even more important, as a black male coming from the inner city, you know, um, mm-hmm. even my, my teammates, even though they weren't black, a lot of them didn't come from tough environments, you know, they came from environments that were conducive to be a pro bike racer. And I was in a total opposite environment, you know? Um, so yeah, it was all, it was always a struggle, you know? Um, but I always say that I, I never let those situations define me because if I did, we wouldn't be talking here today. Well, and maybe that's a, a good place to to tease out some information that could be helpful to, to any of us. And certainly we're going to talk about the great work you're doing in the inner city and with so many youth. Obviously, in our intro, we talked about your numerous accomplishments as you did rise through those ranks and continue to rack up victories and national championships. But if I look at this, maybe not by trying to put myself in your shoes or might try to do what our listeners are doing right now and immediately acknowledging that would be really, really tough, especially to achieve the level of success that you have. What are those things that you learned from that upbringing, that toughness that was required that even though, you know, you had a different background, you looked different than many who were not only out there on the track competing against you, but were perhaps even in the building or along the course, what is it that now you take from it with everything? Because you've taken on a lot of big stuff, stuff that quite frankly would intimidate many other people, but somehow you've managed to say, you know what, it may be difficult or it may be very, very, very challenging, but it doesn't mean it's not worth giving it my best Mm -hmm. shot. What is it that you now know is kind of part of who you are that was formed because of that backdrop and what you had to do in order to get to where you are? Yeah, I think it starts, it starts at home, you know, Mm. Uh, I don't know the statistics, but I know growing up in Compton, when I was going to school there, a lot of the the kids I hung out with, they didn't have both parents at home, you know, Um, Mm. a lot of them was raised by their grandparents, or maybe an uncle or auntie due to 
you know, unforeseen circumstances. And oftentimes it was incarceration. It was drug abuse. It was just someone on one, on one side or the other being absent, you know, for, for some reason. Um, and oftentimes it's because they're, they fall victim to their environment, right. Um, because of drugs, gangs, violence, um, doing things that they need to do to try to provide, which sometimes, you know, lands them, you know, incarcerated or something mm-hmm. like that. So I, I, I grew up around all that, you know, uh, going to school, walking to school with a group of four kids and then only coming home with three because one got shot because he did school, you know. Uh, so stuff like that happened in my my environment or walking home with four kids and going straight home. And then later that day, finding out that the kids were hanging out in front of a house and it was drive by and another one got killed. Like this stuff really happened um, in my life. So I think through all of that, I'll go back to the beginning. It starts at home. So it was a reason why I walked home and went straight home, you know, because my mom would probably kick my ass if I didn't, Um, (laughs) you know? And so it was, it was just that foundation. And then two, just like the struggles, you know, I think uh, if you can overcome some of those or overcome all of those struggles, it just, it makes you a stronger person and you know how to persevere. You know, Uh, if you've never dealt with any sort of like huge shortcomings, were, you know, house burned down, homeless, you know, losing your house to other reasons. You know, mm. I think when you bounce back, uh, you're just a better person, you know, and unfortunately it take those situations <laughs> to help you to become a better person, but it's just, that's the reality. And that's what happened in my life, you know? Um, so when, when I'm fer- faced with like adversity, either on or off the bike, I just, I know I'm gonna get through it. Yeah, I know sometimes it's not going to be pretty. I know sometimes it may hurt people. I know sometimes uh, it's going to hurt me, but you just got to keep going. And I think that just comes with my upbringing and, and some of the things that we've been through as, as we grew up living in Compton. Mm. I think, and for those of you who are familiar with some of the work that Angela Duckworth has done in and around her work titled Grit, you hear in Rasan that resilience and the reason that your response to tough circumstances can become so powerful as you get increasingly habituated to things just being really, really hard and yet having to figure out how to persevere. Instead of looking at just that difficulty, Rasan, I'm going to actually take my hat off as a retailer and as a podcast host, put on my parenting hat. There are plenty of statistics now that indicate that kids will get on bikes when they're really, really young. And then all of a sudden they discover the smartphone or technology and they tend to walk away from being on the bike as often as they get more involved in that device. And then sometimes they'll find it again But then when they get their driver's license, yet once again, they kind of walk away from it until they get into some level of adulthood where now they're looking for an exercise routine or a way to connect socially. As a parent, how do we help our children love the bike the way that you and I remember from our youth loving it or the way I know, you know, D2 could talk about it historically or many can, but maybe not as much as what we would like for our own children or the kids right in our our neighborhood. Any advice for us how to keep kids more connected regardless of the neighborhood with their bicycles? I think to put it in context, it's hard to say with no, like it's not, it doesn't matter which neighborhood because that's a, the environment is actually huge. It plays a big mm. part of, of what they do. Um, 
you know, you could take, let's use a place like, say you grew up in, in Vail or Aspen or even Colorado Springs or Boulder, somewhere where outdoors is just part of life, you know, um, mm-hmm. in LA, driving a car is just part of life. It's like, unless you now work from home or something like that, it's totally different. Um, but I don't know. It's uh, definitely the devices. I, I have children of my own. The devices are, they're kryptonite, man. Uh, and, and it's, it's like, it's a constant to try to keep our, our children off of those things all day long. And I think the only thing you not the only thing. I think one thing that works, it takes a lot of effort from the parents to stay on top of mm-hmm. them, also keep them active. So if it's the bike, it's, you know, sometimes you may go for a run or a ride and you've already, you know, ex- you personally have exercised four or five hours in the day. This, you know, I'm speaking from experience. And then I would get home, pack the car, pack the bikes, and we drive to the beach and then we go for a ride, even though I already trained four or five hours that day. Because if I don't do that, they can't just ride outside because where we live is not conducive to ride outside. I wouldn't allow mm-hmm. them to ride their bikes mm-hmm. outside. So that's why I think environment is such a huge uh, hurdle. You know what I mean? Um, and one of the things, this is on topic, but kind of changing topics. One of the things the foundation is working on is actually a bike park in our neighborhood. So kids have a safe place to ride, you know, and have fun. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that. Why miss such a perfect, segue so the Bahati Foundation for those of you who cannot wait for the show notes Bahati Foundation.org this makes it pretty simple to understand even before you get to that website or learn more about all the incredible work they're doing celebrating 10 years of strengthening inner city youth on and off bike and I'm going to go ahead and read the mission. This is so good, so powerful, and so telling in terms of how Rasan spends some of his time. The mission of the Bahati Foundation to empower inner city youth by providing them with life skills and programs that promote positive values, healthy habits, access to ed tech, and cycling, resulting in real life power on and off the bike. Well done, my friend. That is super cool. And now a decade in, you just talked about a bike park. I know it didn't start with that vision materializing at the snap of my fingers. It took a lot of work and obviously quite a bit of vision casting to even get it off the ground. What is it that drives you now, even a decade later, to ensure that there are inner city youth who are having the opportunities to ride a bike literally at this very moment? It's really simple. I was one of those, I was one of those youths, you know, and it took me a while to realize that what I was doing was actually having a positive impact for the future. But then when I did realize it, it makes it that much more sweeter and easier actually to keep doing what we're doing. Um, So you think about, it took one teacher to influence one kid to get on bikes. And now that one kid who is now an adult has inspired hundreds of kids. I've met you know, some, some younger kids that are now adults that went on to college, went on to pro bike racers, and they all mm. came through 
you know, but at the same time or either uh, through a program that we had. So, you know, it only takes one to make this big impact, you know. And totally worth it. And you've got the flywheel really rolling right now. But I love the fact that you talk about values, you talk about healthy habits, you talk about education. And of course, you've just woven cycling into that. It is not the only thing. If somebody goes on to be a pretty accomplished cyclist, great. But the first thing you said was kind of go on to be a productive citizen and someone Mm -hmm. who is, you know, contributing in ways maybe way outside of the sport of bicycling. What are some of the elements that you think are are really foundational to that program that are independent of all of the great bicycling resources? What are some of the things that you've seen or people you've worked with that have had big impact on you? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. You know, the reality is most kids run up in inner city. Atlanta, Philly, New York, Chicago, LA, you know, they, in their mind, they don't think they'll make it past 18. Mm. So think about that, 18 years old, right? And then they make it past 18, they don't think they'll make it past 21. So like, even psychologically, they're not even giving themselves a chance to even live. You know, that's why they, they're, they're so reckless in, in, in some regard. Um, so just imagine if you could skew that mentality, you know what I mean? Just a little bit, enough for them to say, you know what? I don't want to go that way. I want to go this way because I want to make sure I help my mom or my sister or, you know, I do want to work at a bicycle manufacturer company. I have this idea for the next great tire or whatever it may be. And so those are the programs that, these are the things that we're doing to inspire them to think like that, not, oh shit, I just made it to 18. Now what? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, no, you know, by, by 45, I want to be the CEO of XYZ and I want to have 13 products within the cycling space. Like these are the things that we want these kids to think about um, and just totally change, um, you know, what they think about life. Man, go back and listen to that, friends. And it's particularly arresting to me, literally just finished with, cross-country practice for a local high school. And I can tell you, none of these kids were thinking about maybe not making it to their early 20s. And we're talking about the trivial and we're trying to enforce a good work ethic for that individual workout. And it's so, like I said, arresting for me to think, man, it's a completely different mindset, but so critically important. And my guess is also really, really rewarding. You had something that you did earlier this summer where you had kids and now taking us almost full circle, the Olympic games coming back to LA. It's not going to be overnight. Hopefully you'll get a few rainstorms between now and 2028, but the games back in Southern California in 2028, you're already doing some cool things kind of in advance of that to get kids, to get inner city kids on bikes and, and what have you. What are some of the things you've got planned for the next five to seven years between now and when the Olympic games reappear in Los Angeles? Yeah, it's crazy that it's uh it's it'll be here in 2028. And and the city I actually live in, a little neighborhood, Lamert Park, was actually built for the first Olympics that were held in LA. I think it was 32, 1932 or something like that. Correct. Um, so a lot of uh a lot of the like apartment and condos in our area was a part of the Olympic Village, you know. And it's it's so funny that it's it's coming back and, and I live in this neighborhood uh where, you know hopefully we'll have some Olympians walking through here. So yeah, like when I see kids on bikes, um, when we, when we're doing programs at UCLA, um, 
with uh with stem and steam and just like again it's all about just opening up their mind you know what i mean um there's so many things that they can do either within or even outside of the sport and like you said if, if they become bike racers great but at the end of the day we all know that's that's short-lived too you know um yeah, uh, you see that the, the CEOs of these companies are making a lot more money than bike racers. So let's <laughs> let's aim for that, you know, uh, and which I think would be really cool. And 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 on top of that, we need more representation at the top of the sport. You know, um, we look at all these huge companies, and there's no there's no brown and black people at the top of these companies making executive decisions. And that's mm. one thing that annoys me a lot. Is I love cycling, man, but when I open the computer and I see team photos from, you know, uh, uh, a team that's concluding uh, a bike race and they have all the swanures and the mechanics and, the, and the, you know, all the people who does logistics, they're all coming together to take a big group photo because they just had a successful, you know, 10-day race. There's not one black person in that photo, mm. you know, and it's like. You, we can't keep screaming for change and you, you, you where's the change? You know what I mean? Yep. Um, so yeah, big advocate of, you know, really trying to push that envelope and we, we just don't want to be in the room. We want to sit at the table. We want to make decisions. And I think until we start making decisions, us people who look like me, things won't change because no matter, no matter what you think you're doing is right. You're not going to understand what it's like and understand the real struggle of being black or Brown growing up in this environment unless you're black or brown it's, it's just no other way around it you know and so and and until that change we, we're, gonna, we're gonna be singing the same tune for a long time and and i'm not gonna say that the work that's been done on the ground by smaller organizations uh, including myself is not making a difference but it's a really small cask versus a big one you know that we could do together collectively if we all kind of got on the same same playing field. So that's uh, one thing that we're, that we're going to continue to push. And, and maybe the, the nine-year-old kid from the elementary school that we're working with is that person, you know, and that could be in 15 years. You know, I, I, I could wait 15 years for that. You know what I mean? Well, like you said, time goes by in a hurry and we're going to, we're going to touch on some of your career and for you, quite frankly, <laughs> It really wasn't that quick. I mean, at the end of the day, you raced competitively for a long time based on, you know, many standards. But I do have to mention this so everybody can kind of envision this if they would. Earlier this year, the event that I had witnessed to, even if just through social media, the Olympian, Rasan, the kids from the inner city for a ride a bike, kind of get on a bike, be enthusiastic about bicycle riding clinic over the summer. And most of the kids didn't have bikes, but you and those you work with provided bikes for them at the clinic so that they would have something to ride and they could get their instruction and maybe develop some affinity. And then the last day of the clinic, you get to you tell them they get to keep the bikes. And when I think about that and I hear what you just said about, we need to have more people at the table who look like you to me, that is as powerful as anything. I mean, looking at you, quite frankly, in your professional prime on the track or even at some of these big name events is awesome, but that's really, really rare. But somebody falling in love with the sport because somebody gave them a bike at a really, you know, important age, like eight or nine, and it's their enthusiasm. Heck, D2 and I are not elite runners. 
but I can tell you, we work like crazy every single day to make the pedestrian active lifestyle more accessible and more enjoyable to as many people as we can. And to think there may be children who you've influenced, Rasan, who may never race anywhere close to the level you did, but could have that kind of influence in the sport because they fell in love with it, because they had access to it. Mm-hmm. That to me is so sweet. So cool. Let's talk a little bit about your your career. We're going to talk a little bit about some of your your highlights. Obviously, you know, you did start to have some success relatively early on. You won the amateur at the time, as you mentioned, USCF National Championship in the Criterium. What was that like to find that kind of success relatively early when you think about when you first got on the bike and when you first take home a national championship? That's a relatively short period of time for somebody who's that age. How did that come together? Yeah, I won my first one in San Diego, uh, Junior Nationals. So that was three years into finding cycling. And wow. I won the, this is a true story. I, I don't tell this story often. Some people may know it. Um, <laughs> this is a true story. So we're in Downers Grove, Illinois, and I'm with the Mercury cycling team. And at the time, Mercury had a bunch of hitters on the team. Uh, one that stood out the most as the guy who runs the Lux junior team, uh, Roy Sutherland. Um, and then uh, also Derek Bouchard-Hall, who was our old CEO of uh, USA Cycling, who left probably about two years ago, three years ago. Anyway, so they take me to this race. I never forget, I stayed in the Marriott with the, with the rest of the team. And uh, all I knew was that on Sunday morning, I was going to do a race. And then Sunday afternoon, the pros raced, right? So I was like, oh, that's cool. They get to go on a, you know, on a road trip with the big boys and do a race in the morning and the big boys race at night. So I do the race. I'm competitive, of course. And I come around the last corner and I win the race. And they're like, hey, your new elite criterium national champion is Rasan Bahati. And I had no idea that, um, that I was winning a bike race for the national championship. Had no idea. I thought I was inside a wow. bike race. That's and awesome. So I, yeah, I was the first junior um, to win an elite national championship. Um, so back then, luckily, I didn't have to have on junior gears, but I was uh, 17 years old. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. So then, obviously, you know, the success continued. We talked about the numerous national championships. Obviously, you raced you know, on numerous continents and, and found success in a variety of, of different places. I'm going to go to a particular race that is somewhat uh, near, maybe not near and dear to your heart, but one of the many victories and many of our listeners are at least familiar with it in name. Since we're coming from the great state of Georgia, the Athens crit, as they refer to it here, you won that race in 2008 and the Athens Criterion. What do you remember about that? Because those who have been to Athens on that special evening, <laughs> it's a wild scene. And yeah. yet to think about being in the competition at the pro level and let alone winning it seems almost unconscionable. How do you so, yeah. bring that memory to life? I did that race from starting in 1999. I think maybe I missed one year. So I raced from... 99 to 2008 the year i won and every year like maybe top 20 it was always something crazy that was going on crashes uh just the splits you know um 
having a bad day, you name it. And then you know the race. You know, you go out that night and you have a good time because there's just a bunch <laughs> of people that want to hang out and party, and it's a big party atmosphere. And, man, and I always said, I need to win this race. I need to win this race. The year that I won, I had two teammates. And every other year that I went, I had full teammates, like seven, eight guys. So oh, I had wow. Justin Williams, who at the time was kind of just there. He wasn't nearly close to the level that he's on now. And I believe he may, may have even lasted like 15 minutes. But I had one guy that was on our team named Peter Dawson, who's um, he's an Olympian from Australia. He's from Perth. He's a pursuer. Um, he won, I, I think they won the Olympics. What was after Atlanta? Was it Sydney, Australia? Australia. Yes. Yeah. Well done. So he, yeah, he won in Australia. Um, anyway, he was on the team and he was just a powerhouse. So he was off the front with three guys. The big teams had to chase. And I sat in the sweet spot the entire race. I didn't have to do one single thing. And these teams chased, you know, they chased, they chased, they caught those three guys with like maybe six to go. And I was so fresh. I couldn't believe that. Like I just smoked everybody. And it was such a, it was such a crazy atmosphere as we get around, I do my little high fives and I get around after doing my cool down lap and Chad Andrews out of all people is interviewing Justin because he thinks Justin is me because we're on the same team, black dude, same kit, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, we do not look the same. Um, and the, the most interesting part of that night though, you know, if you win that race, you're just a, like a local hero. Oh yeah. You go out, they give you the big trophy, all the pubs pour beer in it for free. I mean, you're you're just a celebrity for that night. I took my trophy, I went to Waffle House and I went to bed. I didn't even step out. <laughs> I didn't even want to have dinner down there. I didn't want anything to do with the party that night. And and I look back, I'm like, man, that's crazy. That's how I felt. Like it was such a I think it was such a relief. Like I exhausted all this energy mm. to win. And then even the after, all the interviews and all that stuff, I was just exhausted. And I didn't want anything to do with any bar. So I took my trophy and went to Waffle House. And uh, they didn't let me eat for free. But, you know, Waffle House, you get full for about $10. So, um, yeah, and I went to bed <laughs> and raced Ros Roswell the next day. That's awesome. Yeah, that always followed that. Well, you have to be on a podcast from the state of Georgia for us to evoke that memory. So I'm glad you've still got such a good recollection and kudos to you for showing the discipline. It is tough to turn down an evening in Athens, let alone when you're the local celebrity and the winner of the Athens crit. So let me yeah. ask this, and this is going to be more general, but I think there are a lot of people, me very much included, who cannot really fathom being in a velodrome and pedaling with that much authority, as well as being that close to other cyclists at that rate of speed. So what is it like in the Peloton, in that type of environment? Many of us have ridden on the road. Certainly mountain biking continues to have its day. There are all kinds of environments that some of us have more or less pedigree and more or less experience. But Velodrome is much, much, much more unique. So take us inside that part of your racing career and how do you train in a velo and how do you compete as successfully as you have? Yeah. Training on the velodrome is actually a lot more intense than I would say training to do crit racing. Um, you know, there's a lot of velodrome racing. The longest race is maybe 30 minutes, you know, which is a long time on the track. Yeah. Um, and that's usually a 210 lap points race. Um, so that's, that's, that's a long, that's a long race on the track. Cause you have to keep in mind, uh, on the velodrome, you're on a single speed bike with a fixed gear. So mm -hmm. there's no coasting. 
Um, and you have to select a gear that works for you, but also you have to understand the dynamic of the race too. You know what I mean? So if it's points race, that means you're going fast and then you're sprinting every 10 laps. And then once sometimes the race slows down, if that gear is too big, you have a hard time getting up to speed. So there's a lot of, a lot of different uh, scenarios that you have to really play out. Um, and then I think more importantly too, the velodrome is actually probably one of the safer environments you could race a bike in because there's mm. little, there's, there's, there's really no common denominator. You know what I mean? Uh, there's not a lot of variables. Like okay. I said, everyone's on a fixed gear bike. No one has a water bottle. No one has gears. Uh, no one has brakes. You know, uh, there's everyone's, it's, 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 it's the ultimate equalizer. The only thing you could possibly do wrong is like overlap a wheel. You know, when a crash happened on the track, if you're thinking correctly and you're, you have oxygen in your brain, the best thing to do when a crash happened is to do what? Go around it? Yeah, but which way? I would go up, I guess. That exactly. would be my instinct. Okay. Is that the right to down? Okay. That is absolutely. But, you know, when you're racing at full <laughs> gas and things happen quickly, you think you can avoid it, but things fall down faster than they go up. So you always want to go up the track. So it's the, the velodrome, actually, I think, and I've always said this, I, I feel like in order to get a license, especially as a junior, a racing license, you should be able to qualify like some sort of level of competency on the velodrome because it teaches you so many skills. You know, your motor skills are better, uh, using your peripheral, filling the swarm, like learning how to maneuver. Again, you can't change gears. You can't reach for a water bottle. You're not breaking. You're, you're constantly thinking all the single time. Like you're like this the wow. entire time, you know, you're like, you're the, you're the cams in your car, you know, like you're, everything is moving at once. We're on the, on the road. You could actually take a break and like, all right, let me close for a second. Let me relax. Let me get my breath back or whatever you may be thinking um, or doing to try to relax on the track. You can't do that. You're constantly doing something. You know what I mean? And I think it's a great way to learn. That's awesome. I love this question. I almost threw that question out. I'm so glad I didn't. That, that is, that is awesome. The other event I have to ask you much, much more recently, sorry, we missed you, but you were in the Atlanta area. You were in South Atlanta, not that long ago, Metro Atlanta area cycling one love century brought you to town. We missed each other. We had to go to Utah to see one another since uh, our schedules didn't align when you were here in Georgia. What'd you think of the cycling scene here? I know you've been to Atlanta a few times, but not as mm -hmm. recently as what you were just a couple of months ago. What were your thoughts in and around that very cool event and just kind of the riding community in general while you were here? Yeah, it was nice to get out uh, to where the one love uh, century was because I I've ridden in the city you know, of Atlanta. I had never mm -hmm. ridden out, um, kind of out. And about. Well, I'll take that back toward Georgia, but racing is yep. different. You don't see anything, you know, you're just mm -hmm. like full gas. Um, so it was nice to go out and the course they made that they plotted out for the, for the hundred mile route, I thought was, was perfect. Seriously. It gave you a little bit of everything. You know, if you're a bigger guy, you can survive most of it, you know, cause it wasn't too long Hills, but if you spent too much energy, those hills will come back and bite you in the butt as it did for most people. Um, I had enough experiences to survive uh, the, the ride without getting dropped. Um, and then you had these long, fast downhills, you know, so it gave you a little bit of everything. It was shaded. It was a little rocky. It was smooth roads, you know, um, 
yeah, I thought it was great. And I was actually picking fun at a guy I know from here who's from Georgia, Phil Guyman. Uh, I guess he did a, he did a, he did a vlog about how, how he hates Atlanta and how the riding is, is horrible. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about, man? Maybe you just weren't going to the right place because these roads are amazing. Um, so yeah, enjoy every minute of that, of that, um, that Fondo weekend. Um, I think cycling needs more of that, you know? Um, mm. Yeah. They, they need more of that, more of just that grassroots organic way of hanging out and riding bikes it wasn't super competitive pretty much you're racing yourself you know what i mean um and which i thought was amazing because road cycling is very like clickish and elitist and it, it it takes a lot of the fun out of it and i didn't have none of that for four days of riding you know thursday to monday every single day was just fun very very cool and and you are right. And the Atlanta area now with 25 plus years under my belt has come a long way relative to being fun and quite frankly, even just safe to go for a ride in parts of town that maybe some people have not yet discovered. You mentioned earlier, Rasan, some of the things that you look at now, not just as an athlete, but quite frankly, an intellect of the sport. When you look at what manufacturers are doing or what other influences in the sport, I'm going to ask you about two organizations that you're involved with and maybe cast a little bit of a future for us in terms of where they're going first of all giant you and i came together got to know each other through our mutual relationship with giant bicycles the world's largest manufacturer of bikes you've been working with them for a long time obviously been an ambassador for their products been an elite athlete for teams that they're part of what do you see in and around bicycle manufacturing in the near term such as product availability and just being able to get uh what we need to enjoy the equipment we're using and then a little bit further out what do you think innovation or improvement looks like in and around parts and gear and bicycles. Yeah. I'd never thought we would be where we are now with all the innovative things that have come out. You know um, it is cool that <clears throat> they keep pushing the envelope and making cooler and cooler things. But on the <laughs> flip side of that, it's like, if you want, if you want the sport to be more inclusive, who's going to come out with that inclusive uh, bike that's uh you know uh priced at an affordable ticket mm. that a lot of people can afford you know? we got to keep um, asking that question that that's you know these these new groups that are coming out and these wheels and it's cra it's crazy you know if, if my three daughters wanted to race bike bikes and i wanted them on the superior product that i ride if i had to buy it they may be you know what they say sol it's like sure how can you afford you know forty thousand dollars worth of bikes and then you know uh another 20 grand worth of wheels and everything else that come with it uh i mean we all know that things happen and you break a wheel you gotta buy a new one it's so it's like i have just always said you know whoever comes out with that bike that's um superior but you know around 2500 bucks i think they're gonna score and they'll win because right now we all like the nice stuff i keep looking at my bike it, like it's nice i, I don't want to <laughs> ride anything less than this you know um and so but yep. how, how can i tell the 16 year old whose mom is working three jobs that this is what her son needs you know and we we can't sit here and deny that equipment don't make a difference equipment makes a difference i think we all know that you know, if that was the case, you guys would just go run bare feet and, and you'd be totally fine. Right. It's like, <laughs> no, you need the best shoes for what you do. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the part that, you know, it's, is challenging. Um, 
I know there's inflation and all that stuff, but I think there's a way that that it could be done, you know. That's awesome. That's exactly the kind of information I was looking for. And I think we need to keep asking that question. You're also with Zwift, I believe, the social impact manager, obviously, maybe asking some tough questions in that environment for those who are not familiar with the Zwift, that's Z-W-I-F-T. They, among many things, have indoor apps for both cycling and running at this point. But where do you see that whole, what I think now is broadly termed gamification of these sports that we love and being able to do some stuff on a trainer that you easily could not have done 10 years ago? Where do you see technology like Zwift and the kind of the uh, embedding of that level of social connection in our sport. What do you think the future is there? Uh, it's massive. I think the future for that is massive. Um, you could just look at the growth of Zwift over the last even two years. You know, um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's been a great way to bring community together. It's been a great way to tell the story. It's been a great way to raise funds. Um, it's been a great way to have fun. You know, uh, it's it's so many positives to what Zwift brings to the table. And um, once, you know, once competition comes, I think it is, it'll be even better, you know? Uh, right now, Zwift is kind of like the only kid in the, in the sandbox, uh, which is fine. It, it's, it's definitely set a, a level, a, a standard that's um, pretty incredible. If you guys don't know this, everything you see on that platform is made by hand in Long Beach, you know? Um, mm. There's no like, there's no software packs that they're buying or stuff like that and, and just dumping into uh, a server. Everything is made by hand. All the textures, you know, you talk about the shadows and the, and the light flares and the little bird that comes across. Everything is all handmade in Long Beach. And so I think that's why Zwift is at the top is because uh, the level of, um, of thought, you know, that's, that's going into each map, each game is uh is super incredible so yeah whoever's coming up behind them's got a long way to go but i think the competition would actually be really good you know for zwift it'll help zwift push you know itself to the next level too that's often awesome for those of you who are not familiar with it check zwift.com out so many cool things going on there and i believe you are right obviously we're talking to rasan bahadi so many cool things in his past but what we've not done are ask the really tough personal questions as we wrap this conversation up rasan i've got a list of just rapid fire questions they're going to let <laughs> us and our listeners get to know you a little bit better because we know you are more than just a pretty face on a really really fast bike that can and make things go and make things happen. So are you ready for our home stretch? Kind of Stay that ready. final trip down. Here you go. So first of all, I asked this because you gave it away and yet I'm going to let everybody hear the answer. Coffee or tea? Uh, definitely coffee, probably about 99.7 of the time. <laughs> oh, 99.9% man, of the time. Oh, that's good stuff because and for those of you who don't have video, the reality is this. He's drinking tea right now. He was getting his tea ready. And so I thought, oh, man, he's different than I am. He's more tea than coffee. But that was an exception that we got this evening. All right. Exception. With yes. three girls, you obviously you had five sisters growing up. Five sisters and a brother. Wow, that's awesome. You have three girls now. Yeah. Very, very cool. So this is a good question for you, especially this time of year with your family. Halloween evening, 
or Thanksgiving dinner, which is the bigger celebration in the Bahati household? Thanksgiving. All right. There, we're two for two, my friend. I love all your answers so far. Okay, after a big ride, let's go a big workout. Something that you've really, really gotten after is it? After it afterwards, is it sweet, salty, or hoppy? Ooh. Definitely hoppy. Oh Definitely man, hoppy. that's three for yeah. three as far as D2 and I concerned. <laughs> but then all right, next you are in LA. Now, after listening to your commentary about how everything is homegrown at Zwift, who the heck needs Silicon Valley in Northern California when you've got Long Beach and your programmers and software coders and engineers right there in Long Beach? But before there was Zwift, before there was that type of programming acumen, there was Hollywood in Southern California. What is a movie that you just cannot not watch again if you happen to see it on TV? Oh, it's too many to name. Uh, one I watched yesterday with my wife, Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, um, man, Eddie Murphy, good stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's... <laughs> um, also, uh, Goonies, you know, growing up as a kid, you wanted to be that kid, you know, on okay. the island. Um, <laughs> and the first, probably the Bourne trilogy, uh, I like a lot. <laughs> Okay, well, it's funny because with I I made this more generic because of you being in Southern California. So I'll ask the question the way it's usually asked, and that is favorite Rocky, including all the Creed that are here. Given your status as an elite athlete, do you have a favorite Rocky movie? The original. Oh man, see, we disagree there. Clever yeah. Lang, that was the one. Clever Lang was yeah. the one he had to really take down. All right, last yeah. question before we let you go. If you are going to choose and not let your daughters or someone else who's close to you choose the genre of music in the evening when you're wrapping it up for the day, knowing it's time to look at tomorrow's calendar and you want to have just the right vibe before you turn it in for the evening. What's the genre of music gets played in the backdrop? The genre of music that gets played, that gets played that you're, that you're going to pick out and put on. That's a tough one. Cause I'm all over the place, man. I really, I'm all over the place. It could be, it could be jazz to like African beats to like straight oh. trap music to country music. I, it, all, it just all depends. Seriously, oh. I, I can't. You I got can't great range. It. All right, you got great yeah, range. We'll I let you off the I hook because <laughs> that's awesome. Plus, I mean, the fact that you were able to talk about both African beats and country music in the same answer to me that uh, <laughs> that that goes places. Well, one thing that yeah, that we did when we were in Park City, I don't know if that you'll remember this. I made a comment as I was getting ready to turn in for the evening. I was going to turn into a pumpkin. Now I thought that was an old Cinderella reference. I don't know if it was or not. And then you told me the Compton reference was something about the tilt. The Can tilt. you remind me what that was in terms of it's time for what the tilt in terms of how to say you're going to bed? It's more like I'm going to the house. Like I'm, I'm headed to the tilt. Headed to the tilt. Okay. So now yeah. let's take the conversation back to whether it's biking or, or being amped up about something. What is a good Compton, straight out of Compton expression? That would allow me, if D2 and I are going for a ride, to let him know I'm serious, that I'm bringing my real game with me this time, that he better not be messing around because I certainly am not. Anything that you can tell us here in the South or living in the ATL that we can use with us or use the next time and take with us to a group ride? I don't know. It's, this is pretty universal, but like you could say, you don't want no smoke. Oh, you don't want no smoke? I love it. Yeah. I've not heard that before. That's good uh, stuff. 
that's like you like you don't want none of this you know you don't want none of this there it is d2 you don't want no smoke just know that that is true <laughs> he is rasan bahadi so many cool things that he is involved with and has done for a long long time rasan not only a friend but also a gift to this sport and certainly to us thank you so very much for your time and all that you do of course. Thanks for having me. You bet. We'll see you next time you're in Atlanta. In the meantime, we'll take a brief break. We'll be right back right after this. At Big Peach Running Company, we know that not everyone identifies themselves as a runner. Running isn't about a start or finish line. It's not about time or pace. It's freedom. It's a break. It's time for yourself. We take pride in listening to your needs. We make sure you get the right shoes so you can get back to enjoying your time. Big Peach Running Company has been voted as one of the best running stores in America by people like you. Visit us at any of our seven Metro Atlanta area locations or visit us at bigpeachrunningco.com. Welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. So very cool. Big fan of his D2, Rasan Bahati. Can't wait till he makes his way back to the South and we can spend a bit more time. Only seeing him in places outside of Georgia seems a little bit strange that he helped kick us off into some cycling content. I'm sure that will be a theme that continues, but there is a theme that is a carryover. We're already looking forward to that, a carryover from Run ATL podcast episodes and seasons gone by around Small Business Saturday, fast approaching. You've taken the lead on this, lining up some real talent and partners of ours. Can you give us a preview without jinxing us knowing that that <laughs> episode is not yet in the can? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've joked about this in the past as far as, you know, announcing, you know, that we'll have a guest or a future episode and then things don't line up, but I do think that we've got something concrete. It's on the schedule. We will be recording this. Um, and you know, and, and it's hard to believe now that I believe that this will be, if not our third or fourth, uh, you know, themed around uh, small business Saturday. So we've I used that. In, yeah. We've used that in the past to kind of, you know, help promote us, you know, raise awareness to small businesses. And this time, Time, we're going to use our platform to promote another what we believe is a small business, but a partner of ours, and hopefully you know uh, a brand that you guys are you know listeners are familiar with, and that is Rabbit. So we're going to have the founders of Rabbit, Jill and Monica, who started this um, you know brand. Um, you know, several, not, I mean, not too long ago, I, I'd have to go back and look, but I can't imagine that it's been, you know, maybe five ish years. I mean, it's less than 10 years, less than a decade where they started a small apparel brand, um, you know, geared specifically, um, to make, uh, running apparel for, you know, individuals that, that run, they just didn't feel that there was a, a you know, that it was being done right by some of the other brands. So they decided, well, let's make our own. And that's what they've done. And they've done some very creative, uh, and unique stuff. Um, they've got a, a great social media presence. They've got a great ambassador program, which I will have to admit full disclosure. I am one of their ambassadors. I am one of their rad rabbits. So I'm excited to, to meet them, learn a little bit more about, um, this, this company, this brand. And, um, and it's a brand that we, you know, carry in our stores. So, you know, selfishly, we are promoting something that we do carry. But to have two women that started a brand um, on their own um, and, and, you know, to be entrepreneurial, which is something both Mike and I are, are very you know, interested and in, intrigued by and, and, and always grabs our attention, to use our platform as two men to try to help elevate this brand, these two women uh, that are entrepreneurs, I think it's, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm very excited about. 
Well, thanks for hooking us up with that. Now we just got to make sure we reel it in. I know we've got it on the schedule. And assuming that does happen, you will get the good fortune of hearing the entire conversation as we bring that to you for, like D2 said, our fourth small business themed episode as we move towards the end of November. Certainly much to give thanks for and like a rocket ship into the holiday season. But for now, we must say our goodbyes. Not for long, of course, only a fortnight and we'll be back. But in the meantime, as we always say, and as we certainly mean, May your best miles be those covered on foot. So long, everyone.